Wow, I said to Jesus the week after Christmas. I'm stuffed. I must have gained 10 pounds over the holidays. Jesus smiled knowingly and replied, It's a season for feasting. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I like celebrating with my people. Soon it'll be time to step into the new year with healthier rhythms and disciplines. I want my loved ones to be healthy in every way. What are your plans? I felt a bit sheepish. Well, Lord, I often make New Year's resolutions to lose weight, to exercise more, to grow in my faith, but I found it difficult to continue. Jesus responded, I know you've taken some good steps in the past. You even built that home gym downstairs with all that state-of-the-art equipment. Uh, yeah, the home gym. Um, that's quite a place, isn't it? I replied. In truth, I hadn't worked out down there, or frankly, anywhere in ages. I put a lot of money into it at one point, figuring that it was easier to go downstairs to exercise than to drive to the club or even brave the weather outdoors. But the weights were now covered in dust, and storage boxes blocked the way to the cardio machines. Frankly, my excess pounds in my neglected home gym were points of embarrassment. Jesus, I didn't know you cared so much about my body. I figured you were focused on my spiritual life, my prayer and Bible reading and church attendance. But my body, really? Aren't you more interested in eternal things? Jesus replied, a lot of my loved ones make this mistake. They separate the body and the soul, parts of being human that my Father has woven together, that I myself experience and value. You and I are embodied creatures. We mustn't separate these parts of who we are. Spiritual and physical health support each other and reinforce each other, just as God intended. Jesus continued, As with every other room in your life, I want to be with you in it. I want to enjoy your company. Will you serve me as you take care of your body in this new year? We can work out together. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. You know we can say that for six more days, can't we? Twelve days of Christmas, and today is day six. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad we have more than one day to celebrate this incredible time of year. Christmas tide is a time for us to reflect and give thanks on the miracle of Christmas, of Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, coming to be with us. And we've been thinking about that over the last several weeks. If you've been with us, or especially if you haven't been with us, we've been in a sermon series called Prepare Him Room. It's based on that Christmas carol we sang earlier, Joy to the World, where it says, Let every heart prepare him room. And we have been loosely basing this sermon series on a very famous sermon that Dr. Robert Boyd Munger preached in the 1950s back in Berkeley, California, at the First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley. The sermon was called, My Heart, Christ's Home. And I'm just curious, if you've ever read this booklet or parts of it, raise your hand. So a number of you have, but maybe many of you haven't. Listen, when this sermon was preached in the late 1950s, it went viral, if we can say that. It really did. It went viral. It was one of the most shared sermons nationwide. In fact, 10 million copies of My Heart, Christ's Home have been distributed. And in this sermon series, or rather this sermon, 
Dr. Munger uh, based it on that wonderful verse from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, or Jesus says rather, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and make my home with them and eat with them and they with me. The whole truth is that Jesus Christ stands outside the door of our hearts, wanting to come in, wanting to inhabit every room in the metaphoric house of our lives, the dining room and our appetites, uh, the living room where we can enjoy fellowship with him, the kitchen where we cook meals and serve other people, the hall closet where we hide things. Uh, Every room of our lives, Jesus wants in to guide and govern and to be with us. This week, we're going to look at my uh, addition to uh, My Heart Christ's Home. We're calling it the Home Gym. And so with credit to Dr. Munger, or perhaps with apologies, (laughs) uh, we're going to think about the Home Gym. Now, why think about the Home Gym on December 30th at the end of the year? Well, why do you think? (laughs) Because everybody's thinking about holiday weight gain, right? You know, the media used to tell us, and we believed it for the longest time, that the average American gained 7 to 10 pounds throughout the holiday season. Have you heard that before? 7 to 10 pounds. Well, be of good cheer, because studies have actually shown we only gain 1 to 2 pounds over the holiday season. But don't rejoice yet, because most people never lose that 1 or 2 pounds. And for those who do lose it, it can take more than five months to lose. So we're thinking today about our bodies. And to do this, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me say a few words about Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Corinth in Greece in the first century was a large urban place, a city that was the hub of east-west trade. It was affluent, it was worldly, it was arrogant, and it was immoral. In fact, with apologies to those of you from these places, I like to think of Corinth as a blend of San Francisco, Las Vegas, and New York City. The church at Corinth gave Paul headaches. Paul wrestled with these Christians over issues of fashion and hairstyles, food and philosophy, sexual immorality, and above all, the body. It's a fascinating letter, and if you haven't read it, I commend it to you. Let me give you some immediate context. The Corinthian Christians had asserted their sophisticated independence, especially around their bodies. Essentially, they said this, my body is my own, and it's only temporary. I can do whatever I like with it, indulge it, neglect it, it doesn't much matter. And Paul had to challenge this. Paul said, no, The body is meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And then in the context of sexual immorality, believe it or not, sexual immorality with temple prostitutes, apparently this was a thing for some of the Christians in that church, Paul wrote these words. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. Uh, It's pretty small, so just listen, it's brief. Do you not know, Paul writes, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. 
You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for these ancient words. Make them come alive in our hearing and apply them to our hearts and lives, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you have heard of the philosopher, the ancient Greek philosopher, Plato. This is a a statue of Plato. Plato lived in the 5th century B.C. And Plato, believe it or not, has influenced so much of how we in the West think. To keep it very simple, Plato taught dualism, a separation between the material and the spiritual, between the body and the soul. Plato essentially said that reality is spiritual and that physicality is only a reflection and a poor one at that of the ultimate reality. So our bodies, our physicality, these are temporary. These are a shell for the spirit. The spirit is what really matters, the soul. And so there's this separation, according to Plato, of body and spirit or soul. Now, this has influenced the Christian church more than we realize. And there was a resurgence of Platonic philosophy called Neoplatonism in the third century A.D., And this has infected the Christian church for a very long time. We as Christians have often separated our bodies from our souls. We've denigrated the body at the expense of the soul, and the soul is where we have put our emphasis. We have forgotten our roots. We as Christians find our roots in Hebrew thought, not so much Greek thought. The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, shows us how God has made us integrated and holistic, that our body and our soul are equally made by God and equally good, that God wants us to live an embodied spiritual life and to separate them, this is unbiblical. I would just remind you of Genesis chapter 1 where God creates all material things. Over six metaphoric days of creation, God says at the conclusion of each, it was good. It was good, it was good, it was good. And then when he gets to us human beings made in our physical bodies, God says, it is very good. Physicality is a good thing. And as we get deeper into the Old Testament, particularly, for example, in the book of Leviticus, uh, not many of us tend to read the book of Leviticus, but it's perhaps to our uh, loss. Because the book of Leviticus shows how God was concerned for the Israelites in every aspect of their material and physical existence. The book of Leviticus tells us what to do with a corpse and how to dispose of our human remains in a way that's honorable to them. The book of Leviticus tells us what clothing is appropriate and what diet and food are acceptable and healthy and well, uh, well intended for us and what we're to do with our physical illnesses and our skin diseases. Leviticus covers all of these things. Why? Because they're important. They're important to God. You know, if I wasn't a pastor, I suspect I might have been a medical doctor. I'm fascinated by the human body, by human anatomy. So much so that I purchased years ago a textbook that's used in medical school. It's called Netter's Atlas of Human Anatomy. Does anybody know of this? A few of you do. Listen, if you are interested in the intricacies of the human body, let me recommend this book. Because page after page, Frank Netter has carefully designed and drawn 
these uh, insights into the human body. Here's an example from the head. There's the head, and it shows how, how amazingly God has designed us and made us. It reminds me of that verse in Psalm 139, where it says that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Fearfully and wonderfully made. This is how God has made us. And the Old Testament makes it clear. Now, when we get to the New Testament, it becomes even more clear. God cares about our bodies. Jesus is the ultimate example. In Christmas season, what we're doing is we're reflecting on how God gladly took on human flesh, a body like ours. This is the miracle of Christmas, and we need more than 12 days to think about it. God is not ashamed of our bodies. God has made our bodies, and God has taken a body in Jesus. And that is a miracle that blows our minds. Then Jesus lives a life of of physicality in his earthly life. He, He had strong hands, no doubt, from his carpentry work. He used his hands and his arms to touch and to hold and embrace people. He multiplied loaves and fish to feed people's hungry bodies. And if that weren't enough, Jesus, in his body, went to a cross and suffered gruesome physical torture for our sake. He understands us. He knows us. Why? Because he has a body just like ours. And then Jesus, on the third day, rose from the grave in a body, let me remind you, a body that shows us that physical resurrection is part of God's plan and it's in our glorious future. Paul builds on all of this as he teaches that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We have to scroll back in our minds to the Old Testament, to the Exodus tradition where God's people, the Israelites, were led into the wilderness and God was with them. And the temple, well, it was a tabernacle, it was a tent. But God was pleased to dwell in the midst of their life together in this tabernacle. They came into the land and then in Jerusalem, God instructed them to build a temple where God would dwell. And it was considered holy and it was rebuilt. And at the time of Jesus, it was glorious. And then Jesus, coming into the temple precincts in John chapter 2, says these most remarkable words. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And a few verses later, John says, he said this about his body. You see what's happening? God is moving out of physical bodies and into, uh, rather, out of physical structures and into a body, the body of Jesus. That's where God meets with human beings, in Jesus. That's where sacrifice is offered offered that's pleasing to God, in Jesus. And that's where we are now, in Jesus. So much so that Paul can say, do you not know, you Christians, that you are all members of the body of Christ? We are now engrafted into this dramatic reality. And then Paul makes it even more dramatic. He says, Your body, you individual Christians, your body is now a temple. God's temple. The temple of the Holy Spirit. Let your mind get wrapped around that. God gladly indwells us now in the Holy Spirit and our bodies are temples of this Holy Spirit. To recap, the Bible is unashamed of our bodies. God made them good. God had one in Jesus Christ. And God will raise them for a new heaven and a new earth to come. There is a a beautiful physicality about our existence. 
In preparation for this sermon, I took a book off my shelf that I had not yet read. It's a book by Valerie Hess and Lane Arnold. Valerie Hess, the wife of our former associate pastor, John Hess, she and Lane Arnold have written a wonderful book called The Life of the Body. And it's a a meditation, extended meditation on what we're talking about today. But there's a particular quote that really summarizes the biblical tradition. It's this. They write, The Bible integrates body and soul in a whole and holy way. Let me say that again. The Bible integrates body and soul in a whole and holy way. Friends, this gives us a task. This gives us a focus as we step into this new year. It's how will we live an embodied spirituality? What might that embodied spirituality look for us, look like for us? I wonder what it would look like for you or for me. I think we have to begin by affirming that all Christian worship is embodied worship. We heard read earlier those great verses from Romans chapter 12 where Paul says, Therefore, in light of God's mercies, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is holy and acceptable, your spiritual service of worship. Isn't that amazing? Present your bodies, your whole selves, to God in worship, which is your spiritual worship. They're combined. Spiritual worship is physical. And all we have to do is go back into our Bibles and we see examples of this. In the Bible, people worshiping God bow their heads. They lift up their hands in praise and prayer. They clap their hands. They kneel. They fall on their face. They even dance. I uh, lived for a year uh, after college in England. Worked at a Christian institute there. And on Christmas Eve that year, I went to worship with a friend and her parents at their parish Anglican church. And it was one of those high church, liturgical church traditions. Uh, We used to call them smells and bells. And uh, I was having to pay close attention because very often we had to pull the kneeler out and kneel at certain points. And then we stood and then we knelt. And we avoided what my friend's mother derisively called the evangelical slouch. The evangelical slouch, which I think a lot of us have to own, which is where we pray like this. We hunch over and clasp our hands before us, and and that's fine. But there's so many other ways we can pray using our bodies. I've taken in my own study at home to, after I've done, I've finished reading the Bible and writing in my journal, I have a little uh, prayer uh, carpet that I actually kneel down on, and now I'm starting to prostrate myself in prayer. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's, it's a really helpful thing for me because it reminds me my body is used in worship and in prayer to God. And I commend it, if you're able to do that, try different modes of prayer that involve your body and see how it helps you. So we worship God with our bodies, that's certainly true, but there's more than that. God wants not only our worship, but the worship of our lifestyle, how we treat our bodies, what food we put in our bodies, how we take care of our bodies day after day. I don't need to tell you, you probably already know this, but there is an obesity epidemic in the United States. One out of three adults is obese. And this is a big problem. Now, in Colorado, it's not so much a problem. 
out of all 50 states, we are uh, the least obese. Uh, and also, we live in Boulder, Colorado, which after all uh, different uh, surveys and uh, different ways of assessing it, we have determined that Boulder is the fittest city in the fittest state in the Union. In fact, according to one uh, survey, Boulderites, 70% of them responded that they had worked out more than three times this past week for 30 minutes. We are a very fit city in a very fit state. And so that presents us with another challenge. Instead of worrying about necessarily obesity, perhaps we should worry about something else. Obsessive exercise. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Let me tell you about obsessive exercise. Do you know that it actually is a thing? It's something that has been categorized and described by psychologists. Excessive exercise is prioritizing exercise foremost in life, rather than including exercise in a balanced lifestyle. Excessive or obsessive exercise is characterized by continuing to exercise when injured or sick, avoiding social functions to exercise, and firmly adhering to an obsessive and regimented exercise regime. Friends, God wants us to honor God in our bodies on all, all sides of the spectrum, whether we're overweight or obsessively exercising. He wants to call us to a healthy rhythm, a healthy balance. God wants us to worship Him and serve Him involving our bodies. Christ has come to dwell in our bodies after all. And so we need to consider what this will mean for us, especially as we step into the new year. I don't know if you make New Year's resolutions. I don't. I don't because I've had a fairly bad record of following them, and I'm not alone. Did you know that more than half of all New Year's resolutions will fail? According to the New York Times, this is true. And according to the time management firm, Franklin Covey, one-third of resolutions won't make it past the end of January. Now, why is this? Why is it that we don't follow through. Why is it that we have this so-called graveyard of exercise equipment? I mean, think of it. Do you recognize this picture, the thigh master? <laughs> Remember the thigh master? I mean, we have, believe it or not, in our home, a thigh master. And honestly, I don't think it's ever been used. <laughs> or even worse, more recently, the shake weight. I mean, what were they thinking? You add the thigh master, the shake weight, and all the unused gym memberships that we're going to have, and we have a dismal record of New Year's resolutions regarding our bodies. Why is this? Well, I suspect it's because we haven't invited the Lord into these resolutions. We may not have even prayed about any resolutions and determined what they should be according to the Lord. Above all, I think we've forgotten John 15, verse 5. For Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's true, isn't it? The more we grow in our Christian lives, we realize that apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. Nothing of substance, nothing of significance that's lasting. We need Jesus Christ to help us. And that's what we're talking about today. What will this mean? Well, for some of us, it's going to mean that we prayerfully resolve in the strength of the Lord to take better care of ourselves this year. Is that you? Is this a year in which you really do need to re-examine your diet? 
Is this a year in which you need to re-examine the role of alcohol and how much you drink or other substances? Is this the year in which you need to really think about exercising and taking good care of your health? It's a gift not only to you, but to those who love you and even to this church. So for some, it will mean better care. For others of us, it might mean better balance. Perhaps we exercise too much. Perhaps we're trying to fill a a hole in our soul with exercise. This could be a time for us to examine that. For all of us, it's going to mean self-examination and baby steps. Baby steps with the Lord's help to serve the Lord with our bodies. Friends, our bodies matter to God. They matter to God. As Paul said, the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. How will you, how will I, Honor God with our bodies this year. Dr. Munger was an amazing man. And when I was an undergraduate at Cal Berkeley at First Presbyterian Church there, we were, would so look forward to that one Sunday where Bob Munger would preach. I don't know if they had that for you too, but he would come and it was usually in the summertime and he would preach. He was pastor emeritus and we hung on his every word. It was as though Jesus were in our midst. Such an amazing guy. Well, when the Berkeley students went down to Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, Munger took us under his wing. And he, he was such a, a great friend. And this is me on my graduation from seminary with Dr. Bob Munger. Such a dear man. He's left a, a large part of his heart in my heart. And he preached at my installation and ordination back many years ago. And his wife, Edie, was also a great friend of my wife, Rupali. And uh, these two were so amazing. Edie in getting her PhD, one of the first fuller PhDs uh, for women ever in psychology. She would run home after her studies and she would host uh, people in their home, showing them hospitality. And she had this most amazing sign that she gave to Rupali when we moved. And it was this sign. Let's see if we've got it. Ah, We can't get it vertical. Sorry about that, but can you see it? This is the sign that Edie Munger had on their door. It says, please do not ring bell, walk in walk in. Isn't that what we've been talking about in this sermon series? Jesus stands at the door of our lives wanting entry, and we say, don't ring the bell, don't even knock, just walk in. Walk into our lives. Walk in to every aspect of our lives, including our bodies, and let us know you, Lord, and let us serve you there. Let's pray together. Lord, this has been a challenging, but also a heartwarming series And we, above all, want to uh, respond as much as we can by opening the door of our hearts and letting you in. 